Hi everyone and welcome to episode 10 of the University of Greenwich Sustainability Podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast to discuss sustainability at the University of Greenwich and our wider lives. Hopefully with these short podcasts we can provide a good starting point for you guys to delve into sustainability topics and hopefully engage with the wider sustainability team or eco team projects. So on this episode we're joined again by David Jackson um, if you've listened to any of the other episodes, David has featured on quite a few of them. And yeah, we're happy to have him back on this episode. So David, do you have a fun fact for today's episode? I do. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a fun fact, but it is <laughs> a fact. Um, and it is related to the NHS. So according to the latest report, which was published a few years ago in 2016, uh, the NHS carbon footprint in England alone is 22.8 million tonnes of of carbon dioxide, which is a lot. But actually, between 2007 and 2015, the carbon footprint has actually reduced by 11%, which is positive. Yeah, that is definitely positive. I think that's quite a fun fact. Uh, If you haven't guessed already, this episode is about the sustainability of the NHS, an area David is very knowledgeable in, having worked as a sustainability project coordinator at the NHS Trust. Also, it's very topical at the moment because, again, we're filming this episode in September and coronavirus is still very much on everyone's agenda. So I think this will be a really important episode. David, could you begin by describing the work you did as a sustainability project coordinator at the NHS Trust? Yes, I certainly can. Um, So as as you said, Ryan, I worked uh, in the NHS I worked in the NHS for just over two and a half years. So I started in March 2017 and I left in November 2019. I originally started working for Mid-Essex NHS Trust uh, Hospitals. However, during my time there, they actually merged to form Mid and South Essex NHS Trust. Uh, The merger happened between Mid-Essex, Southend and Basildon Trusts to streamline and improve the patient services and care across the whole county of Essex. So whilst I worked for the same organisation, the organisation actually grew significantly in size. So when I first started, I worked at one hospital with a small uh, satellite small group of satellite sites but in the end actually I ended up sort of having an influence around three equally large hospitals and by sort of the large hospitals they were all acute hospitals and each hospital had around 4,000 staff and they were seeing about 800,000 patients a year so you know quite substantive. It was quite a jump from what I was doing before I worked in the NHS so I worked at the Bat Conservation Trust which was a a wildlife charity and the only wildlife charity to solely focus on bat conservation in the UK. Um, The reason why that's all relevant is because it was actually bats that brought me into the NHS. Uh, The hospital, Broomfield Hospital in Chelmsford has a bat roost and my fiance actually worked at that hospital at the same time as well and that's kind of how how I got in. So it's all to do with bats and my fiance. Um, but in terms of my actual responsibilities, it was effectively helping to lead on advancing the sustainable agenda. That does sound vague, but actually that's because it was very far reaching. So basically, whenever an opportunity arose, I was involved in researching and seeing whether a change was possible how to implement that change, how to report on it, and then sort of maintaining that progress moving forwards. I could probably talk for hours into everything that's happened. Uh, I'm very proud of being able to say I did work in the NHS and all of the, all of my former colleagues were, you know, sort of brilliant and and, and it was a great atmosphere to work in. Um, But because the listeners probably won't want to listen to me drone on for hours and hours I thought I would just pick up a, a couple of points and a couple of projects just to kind of give a, a flavour um, and the first one is actually where I'm going to ask you a question Ryan um, yes. and that is so the Greenfield Hospital as I mentioned in Chelmsford is yeah. a fairly unique hospital in one particular aspect but before I go into that in in your kind of mind what would you yeah 
describe a typical hospital in terms of buildings what it looks like the infrastructure whether it's all concrete or you know how would you describe a hospital um i'd probably start i'd say they're usually quite uh, 70s looking with a lot of concrete a lot of um windows across the front big car parks sort of big square concrete building is usually what i'd describe it as no standout features yeah so you are you are right and yes broomfield uh, does look like that it has got some newer developments as as well but the unique aspect of it is it does actually have a large amount of green space it, inc- it incorporates a lot a large number of gardens and green spaces mm-hmm. but most importantly it also incorporates two acres of woodland which is directly in its own management okay which is fantastic. Uh, and do you remember me mentioning sort of bats and my way into the trust? Well, that's why bats are there because they had, and they still have a large amount of green space. And it was brilliant, you know, to, to be in a hospital setting with that green space around it was was just fantastic. Not only for me, sort of my own personal interest for wildlife and, and monitoring and conservation, but also for the staff and the patients being able to go outside and enjoy those so those same spaces to de-stress relax and to kind of just get away from you know an otherwise stressful and anxious potentially hospital setting mm-hmm. um so in terms of the green space i i was heavily involved in recruiting and assisting in a large number of volunteer projects not only did this bring in the community but it helped to reduce costs on the management so by the time i left nearly 4,000 volunteer hours were logged from around 100 volunteers throughout a variety of projects and that enabled a staff time cost avoidance of about 45,000 pounds which is actually quite significant Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of all the projects themselves they were all 100 charitably funded so there wasn't any public funds spent on on those projects too they ranged from specialist dementia friendly gardens to gardens dedicated to cancer patients um, and just sort of enhancing the the natural spaces outside all of the hospital entrances and all of the uh, office blocks on on the site as well Um, so you know being in that sort of environment was fantastic and why was it all important I, i kind of sort of touched on it already but ecosystem services which we did mention in our in our past biodiversity podcast Mm -hmm. so ecosystem services is a large variety of benefits not just from the wildlife itself but it covers therapeutic spaces and already i touched on the you know the ability to be able to relax de-stress a place to reflect all of that's really important and possibly more important in in a hospital setting um so that's why a large amount of effort was put in to enhance those spaces. So that's one area in terms of the natural space. Uh, wastes, we'll go into wastes uh, sort of later on, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. waste is obviously a, a massive part of any hospital, any healthcare. Lots of waste gets produced, but just because lots of waste gets produced, positive things stand, can still happen over the awareness, the streams, reusing, making sure as much of it as possible can be recycled. Um, so in terms of a hospital, Ryan, would you like to guess how much waste in tonnes one hospital produces uh, in a year? Okay. Um, seven tonnes? Uh, you might have to go a bit higher than that. Uh 50 tons uh still i'll do you want me to put you out of your misery yeah (laughs) so broomfield hospital so this is just one acute hospital so again 4,000 staff seeing 800,000 patients a year it's it produces around 1500 tons of waste (laughs) every year uh so a little bit more than yeah 750 um yep if if lists if listeners sort of aren't quite sure what 1500 tons might be it's a herd of 250 elephants, basically. An elephant weighs about sort of four tons, I believe. Uh, so it, it's about 250 elephants. So it, it is a substantial amount. Um, so in terms of awareness, we focused uh, a big majority of our time on awareness. 
encouraging both patients and staff for correct segregation, not only for the environmental perspective, but also on the financial. So in terms of uh, this hospital and trust and across the board, really, mixed recycling, so recycling waste usually costs less per tonne to take away than clinical waste and general waste. So at Broomfields, the recycling was actually zero pounds per tonne, whereas clinical waste was 300 pounds per tonne. So, you know, if, if everyone was putting stuff that could be recycled into clinical waste, obviously that would generate a, a huge financial burden as, as well as a potential sort of environmental burden as well. So we did focus quite a lot on encouraging the correct actions, talking to people, going on towards, speaking to patients, all about what they could do. And also in hospitals, the environments are constantly changing. So you might have an office, you know, sort of for six months, but then it might need to be refurbished, might need to be turned back into a ward or a clinical area. And that means that furniture quite often comes in and goes out of requirement. So during my time, uh, during my two and a half years, I helped to establish the Trust's long-term furniture reuse scheme, which avoided £100,000 actually within two years, simply for moving items around and avoiding new purchases. You know, hospitals are very large spaces. Um, so it might mean that if you're you know, in a ward at one end of the hospital, you might not know what's available at the other end because okay. it, something's just been refurbished. Um, but actually, if you can join those two up, it means that a large amount of waste can be uh, avoided, but also the financial cost as well can be reduced. So it, it's all, you know, it's all kind of relative to what we do in our day to day lives as well. It's just sort of expanding it onto a, a sort of bigger playing field. And sort of to give an example of the reuse aspect as well, it was all set up by the therapy services unit. Walking aids. So I don't know if listeners or you, Ryan, have seen over the past couple of years, the government have put out messages about a crutch amnesty. So sort of returning crutches to try and sort of reduce costs and things like that. Um, Mid and South Essex do have uh, something similar and in, in Broomfield Hospital especially. So if someone needs crutches, you know, they might not, they won't necessarily need them for the full six months or however long they require them for. And that might mean that actually a large number of them are suitable for reuse. And as long as there's an appropriate decontamination process involved, that that can occur and that can e easily occur, actually. Um, so again, during my time, the, the, there was sort of an annual saving of about £25,000, and that was sort of 2,000 items, uh, walking aids that were kind of repurposed, decontaminated, made appropriate, and then were able to be redistributed out to new patients. Um, South End Hospital, um, also part of this new trust, likewise sort of adopted the, the same methods. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a positive story all around, really. Um, so th those are kind of a, a couple of examples um, in terms of natural space and waste. But, you know, there are lo lots of other things. When you think of hospital environments, it's not just the direct infrastructure and the sort of staff and patients, but you've also got the retail shops, the charity shops. All of that was incorporated into it as well. So we worked with all the outlets uh, to sort of bringing discounts for, for coffee cups. Um, you know, you might think that every place has got a discount for, for a coffee cup, but in some places that there wasn't. So we introduced them, promoted them, pushed it out. Um, and that's just sort of one example of working with, with the outlets. Uh, Broomfield Hospital also, and this was before I actually started there, switched to 100% recycled paper, which, which was brilliant instead of uh, virgin pulp paper it was 100% recycled which went to sort of reduce some costs but also reduced the water consumption and carbon footprint from the actual manufacturing of of said paper that was used uh, we also did there were also energy campaigns uh, lots of ideas shared and it wasn't just you know sort of me sort of going in and looking at it actually a lot of the ideas came from the staff themselves that wanted to get involved, whether it was 
looking at trying to recycle crisp packets or looking at whether plastic or cardboard medicine pots were were better and even looking at uh, better patient bed recycling um all, all of those ideas came from staff uh you know so it was just a case of what i was trying to do was help them sort of facilitate it do some research around sort of what other hospitals were doing what the potential options were and seeing if all of that could be implemented if some of it couldn't that was fine but obviously you know quite a lot of it was which was fantastic um so that's you know a whistle stop tour really of, of mm-hmm. what i was involved in um but i've got one one final uh one which which is quite a big one as well over uh, sort of single use plastics obviously that is heavily in in the news as well particularly with sort of covid and, and sort of the disposables and, and ppe and such like and i've got one final question for you for this ryan um in terms of, of plastic cups mm-hmm. for you know you saw your typical plastic cup that you might find in a drinks cooler but they're also you know sort of crucial for patients and things like that so again over a course of a year and we're now talking over all three main hospitals for uh, mid and south essex mm-hmm. how many plastic cups do you think were used in a year over those three five hundred thousand close if you if you multiplied it by four <laughs> that's a nice way of saying it <laughs> yeah so it, it so there were two million uh, plastic cups that were used uh, across those three hospitals um, and the campaign was started an awareness campaign to sort of reduce that and again that was actually led by maternity staff that kind of had, had seen their procurement had seen how many cups that they would be that they were using and actually were like well you know there has to be an alternative we can start reducing it we can bring in our own reusables and crockery mm-hmm. where possible how can we potentially facilitate that with patients as well so yeah that campaign itself was yeah, a perfect example of how it was initiated by staff. Yeah, thank you for that roundup, David. That was comprehensive and yeah, it gave us a good idea of sort of areas that you make and the work, where you worked with patients and other staff members. Um, so what would you say some of the, I think you touched on a few of them, but what would you say some of the biggest challenges for hospitals and the NHS in being environmentally sustainable? So... Yeah, in some ways, it's it's the same for all of us, really, you know, whether it's individually or large organisations. And those sort of key areas are waste, energy and procurement. So what we're buying and, and sort of how we're using it. But because hospitals are so large and obviously because you have got, um, you know, sort of potentially in, in infectious uh, sort of materials, it's it's multiplied you know sort of exponentially it's so much bigger mm-hmm. um so obviously you know sort of a lot of trusts and sort of my old trust as i sort of already hi- highlighted they were hugely supportive of a variety of projects and they were always looking to sort of expand them and sort of how they could improve sustainability i do know that for some trusts and sort of w- when i started it was the same that the sustainability teams themselves are quite small which does mean that they kind of get sort of dragged around which is fine but it does spread resources so it might mean that you know over a large amount of projects the time is spread thinly for for me so when i was in a small team so for a period of time and the team has now expanded which is brilliant um, but for some time it, i was the only sort of dedicated person potentially you know sort of looking after if you would sort of 4,000 staff and the 800,000 sort of patients trying to reduce or work with to reduce the environmental impact so you know that in itself so resources is is one factor but it is improving waste and energy as I said are are also huge Uh, though they are often seen as the most negative of products in healthcare you do need plastics and you do need single use plastics mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not the two million plastic cups but you know <laughs> there are lots of other single use plastics which are essential and they're actually life-saving um infectious control is hugely involved obviously so they provide all of the advice and best practice 
for, of course, you know, sort of protecting the patients and staff. So some of this single use plastics, you know, like PPE, it can't be simply removed because it is crucial. Mm -hmm. um, if we look at energy, so again, and I will ask you this question again, uh, Ryan. So in, in terms of energy, um, so this is pre-merger. So if you're just looking at Mid-Essex, so just Greenfield Hospital and the small satellite sites, so just one large hospital. Mm -hmm. If I said that an average home in Essex, the energy bill was £1,269 a year. How much do you think the hospital's bill was? Bearing in mind there's 4,000 staff and 800,000 patients. 1.5 million? Close. Uh, in 2017, um, so when I last did the, the report on it, uh, the energy bill was actually 3.7 million. Okay. Um, so equivalent to 2,916 Essex households. Um, but again, some of that you can't reduce because, you know, many of those appliances are critical to care and are required potentially even 24-7. So they might consume large amounts of energy, but they are crucial. So it's a case of trying to find the unnecessary appliances and the items which can be switched yeah. off to kind of improve that. And as I said, you know, with the campaigns, some of that was done. Um, and there are other innovations. So a South End Hospital, they had a combined heat and power plant or, or CHP, which drastically reduced the energy consumption. And I think that was built, I think, four years ago now. So over the number of years that has seen the energy usage decrease. So if you were to compare the hospitals, South End's energy consumption is a lot lower than, say, Broomfields because they have thought of these innovative designs mm -hmm. put in a CHP plant and that has decreased it. Um, and I was trying to get some sort of fresh information. So I was uh, speaking to my former director of specialist services at MSE mm -hmm. prior to the podcast. Um, and, it, you know, they're actually stepping up plans for things like heat pumps and solar panels to decarbonize the en engineering side, which again, is crucial moving forward. It, it is a challenge because of the finances and the resources that are involved, but if they're able to do it, it it's fantastic. Um, they also, what he also told me was that Broomfield and Southend hospitals have been digitally twinned. Someone from yeah. IT would be far better at explaining it for me, but from what I think it means is it's kind of virtual replicas of physical devices. Um, potentially that could reduce the footprint by 16%, so that's 16% of the carbon footprint, and it might only have a payback of two to three years. So, you know, that in itself is is worthwhile and, and brilliant to do. Agendas in, in some aspects. So NHS England, before the outbreak, I think they outlined it last year, that they actually plan to face out single use items, unnecessary items. So, yeah. you know, sort of cutlery, straws, containers within the internal food outlets by April 2021. I think that has now been pushed back, unfortunately, but it, it's still a positive step. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned, because plastic is so heavily used in healthcare, but there are new innovations. So some hospitals I know have partnered with take back schemes for certain types of uh, sort of healthcare plastic uh, PVC equipment. So masks, tubing and IV solution bags, which are generally used in sort of anaesthetics, um, they're not they weren't previously recycled. And when you consider sort of eight million anaesthetic operations take place every year, actually, there's a huge amount. But there are some companies that are now working with trusts for take back schemes where because they are generally considered not to be contaminated, they can be put in containers, get sent to these uh, collection points and then those themselves are recycled. So there are, you know, sort of big things uh, occurring from that point of view as well. Um, in terms of waste over wool, the NHS long term plan, which was done in 1617, that said that overall 
the NHS was generating 590,000 tonnes of waste. So if you consider one hospital was 1,500, this is across the whole NHS, so you know, a huge number of uh, 590,000, which is 98,000 elephants. Um, <laughs> a, a large amount of elephants. Yeah. Um, but when you kind of work into it, 15% of that they broke down did still go to landfill. 23% was recycled. If you compare that to the national average of of last year, which was about 44% of waste, and that's domestic waste was recycled in the in the UK. Um, however, some of the rest of that amount is alternatively treated, including clinical wastes, which get sent to generate energy, whether that's all RDF um, or what I call sort of wet pellet power because it's a sort of different type of pellet that's produced, but still that's used to generate electricity. So not, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. The waste is being treated effectively and it is being used sort of appropriately and sort of increasing it where possible. Um, we all know that the NHS has got sort of, you know, some financial burdens and, and, and restrictions in some areas. Uh, procurement is sort of heavily affected by that. You know, we are aware that some products are better than others environmentally, but sometimes cost wise. It does produce a wedge between those changes um, and procurement is around 70 percent of the total carbon footprint of the NHS. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but positives are occurring. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of, you know, sort of a, what I think might be some of the the biggest challenges uh, around sort of healthcare and and the environment. So the Sustainable Development Management Plan for the NHS England highlights its approach to initiatives such as the UN Sustainability Goals and the UK Government's 2030 Agenda. How did these high level guidelines and actions affect specific day to day sustainability actions of your hospital? So first and foremost, they they supply regulations and targets. So by having the sustainability goals and the UK climate targets amongst others more needs to be done but at least it provides that goal it provides that initial goal goal post where you can aim towards and benchmark all of your targets against without targets it would be a lot harder to compare improvement against against success whether that was individual projects you know within our hospital or whether it was even comparing the hospitals of Greenfield, South and Basildon or, or, or other trusts across the country. Um, so, you know, it means that when pushing for that, it we might have some shortfalls, but with those targets, it gives us that evidence, um, which, which is crucial for, for sort of buy-in, um, for stakeholder buying and for further access. Um, for a variety of reasons, the NHS generally, you know, it, it does have financial concerns, as I touched on. Mm-hmm. In terms of targets and sustainability, finding the kind of financial hook on projects goes a long way in getting support. So as I kind of touched on some of the natural space improvements and, you know, the reuse of, of walking aids or furniture, for example, if you can provide that financial hook, even though the solution may appear to be obvious, mm-hmm. That, that that is kind of a big one so if we're able to find that then brilliant we've kind of analyzed all the avenues got all of the evidence and we can then you know and then it's possible to to get that buy-in from sort of whether it's senior management or, or the community uh so finances is, is a big one and the the targets do help with that um but also there are sort of two tools available. So the NHS Sustainable Development Units or, or the SDU uh, have also produced what's called the Sustainable Development Assessment Tool or the SDAT. Um, that basically measures a host of environmental areas. So you, I remember sort of doing it for, for the three hospitals. You put in lots of information and once you've done that, it produces scores and areas to improve, but all of those scores and all of those areas to improve relate against the sustainability goals and the other targets. So then you can kind of say, right, this is where we are now. How do we move forwards with that end goalpost in sight? Um, And again, with the SDU, that makes it easy for them to compare and contrast 
further trusts and for us if we're looking at you know sort of large amounts of sites hospitals satellite sites if we can do that for each one it makes it easier for us to compare and contrast for senior management to gain insights and understanding and sort of providing that support moving forwards so the nhs accounts for i think you did um discuss sort of some of the emissions aspects of the nhs and the NHS accounts for 40% of the public sector's emissions. Why do you think the NHS creates such a significant proportion of the public sector's emissions? And if you could make any changes, what would you make to m- reduce these emissions? So, yeah, uh, as you mentioned, I've, I've touched on some of some of the reasons above, such as waste, yeah. energy, procurement, you know, yeah. the, the amount of appliances that's needed, um, you know, the, the crucial element of the care for the patients obviously patient mm-hmm. care always comes first and, and needs to come first in the healthcare setting um, but if you're looking at it kind of like a a higher level um, it also comes down to to growing populations and life expectancy you know as those all increase which you know it, life expectancy you know it's all fantastic growing populations everything else the need of healthcare also increases with that and so then so does the treatment and you know all of the care and all of the procurement and energy and and waste all of that increases as well but that doesn't necessarily mean that carbon emissions are exponentially rising you need to kind of do some more comparisons potentially some analysis down to you know sort of per patient per year um, and i can give an example of that if that does sound a bit confusing um, so in terms of Broomfield Hospital, for example, and uh, looking at tar- carbon targets, when we simply looked at the carbon targets for we had for 2015 and 2020, compared to a baseline which we had as 2007-2008, they actually missed those targets, which, you know, on the face of it is actually, well, that's bad. And then you ask questions of why is that happening? What can we do? But that doesn't actually factor in a lot of new developments that took place in 2010, for example. And actually, since the baseline up until I left, there was a 34% increase in patients. So obviously, if you've got more patients, you know, you're going to be needing more more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you look sort of into comparisons, the energy emissions were falling so they had fallen five percent since 2015-16 since I left so 2019 and per patient emissions had not actually risen since the implementation of what was termed a sustainable development management plan or SDMP it's it's now called a green plan but basically it's kind of the the guidelines of how as a trust we aim to you know sort of improve various factors Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whilst the carbon footprint was increasing, actually per patient, even though our patients were increasing, per patient, the carbon footprint hadn't risen for a number of years. So, you know, it it is complicated sort of with emissions, but if you look at it in detail, you can find positives out of that, which is a very important thing to do. Um, in terms of sort of changes or what changes I would do it. It's all kind of about questioning current practices and trying to find solutions. And whilst, you know, some of them may not be feasible, some of them you you will find innovations and you will find new, you know, new things to do. Taking, for instance, the recycling of anaesthetic equipment, you know, a number of years ago that wasn't done. Now it is. So for, for anyone working in the NHS it, or looking to work in the NHS, it's kind of as you're there, just think about what you're doing. Think about, oh, what materials is this particular product made out of? Where has the packaging come from? Where was the actual product come from? And just asking the questions of, are there alternatives? If there aren't, okay, you know, that's fine. At least you've started the question and you might be able to revisit it in one or two years. And then there might be, but there might be something that can be done now to, to reduce it um and to kind of give a sort of example in that so the the sdu uh, of the nhs uh, they're currently looking into loads of research into the single-use plastics and even sort of prescribing 
uh, sort of medications, including inhalers. And I did not know this. I, I just sort of researched it uh, sort of in the last couple of days. But I didn't know that the UK is one of the highest prescribers of metered dose inhaler pumps. So, you know, kind of the typical sort of asthma inhaler mm-hmm. pumps that, that you see. Uh, we prescribe about 65 million a year, actually. Um, so the reason why these pumps might be a concern for the environment is that they contain fluorinated gases. So F gases, which is a potent greenhouse uh, pollutant. A large proportion of these inhalers actually go to landfill, but the actual canisters still have some usable gas inside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it all depends on on the patient, obviously, depending on the patient, you, you might only be able to prescribe that. And that's absolutely fine. But in other situations, there are, might be alternatives, whether it's sort of dry powder inhalers um, or, or another sort of new alternative that's, that's sort of coming out. Um, so there is work being done on the recyclability of the actual inhaler. So the end of life, what happens, trying to take out the remaining F gas from those canisters whilst ensuring that all of that is still working for the patient in question. So, you know, perfect example is that there is lots of research going into areas at the moment um if you look at transport in terms of trust owned fleets lots of uh trusts are moving to more efficient fleets whether that's sort of hybrids or, or electric um again sort of encouraging staff usage or sort of alternative modes of transport um the director of specialist services that i mentioned i, I spoke to gave me a great insight of a pilots being done at uh, the MSE Trust at the moment, which actually involves drones and using drones for transportation of smaller medication. Um, one, you know, potentially when sort of patients move from one uh, satellite site to another satellite site for, for, to improve their care. Um, obviously, when that happens, all of the notes and everything with that patient needs to move with them and drones might offer an alternative to that and you know whether that happens or not or is possible but again it's another example of using technology that's around now using the innovations that are happening to see whether something like that can be sort of positive moving forward which is great um and lastly and though this may not be seen as related to sort of the environment but it is important in in my opinion and that's actually patients using the nhs correctly themselves so each year about 15 million gp appointments are missed where patients simply do not turn up so that's not providing any notice to the gp practice they that they just don't turn up Um, obviously you know there will be emergencies that mean that they can't but for those 15 million missed appointments that causes about 216 million pounds of NHS cost disruptions from, you know, sort of trying to reschedule new uh, sort of patients and sort of the mix up and the staff and, and things like that. So, you know, for, for listeners, if you can't meet your appointment for, for whatever reason, just letting your GP know that you can't make it as soon as possible or soon as you know is crucial, not only freeing up slots for others, but, you know, in terms of that £216 million, think about where that potential inve- reinvestment could go in terms of uh, in terms of healthcare. Yeah, that's a great little extra point there, because um, when you think about things such as the NHS and think about some of the um, costs associated, you never really think about it on the personal level. And yeah, that's a good way to sort of relate to it as the consumer or as the um, patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so while your time you're working within the NHS, are there any examples of best practice or leading examples of sustainability you've seen working within the NHS? You mentioned um, quite a lot of uh, really good examples of little things, but can you think of any sort of um, standouts for you? So in terms of in terms of sort of MSE, yeah, the sort of Potentially, sort of what's looked at the smaller projects. So, in terms of waste and, and reuse, so the furniture scheme and the walking aids and, and even the natural space. In terms of leading example for, for MSE, though, those are, are definite positives. Um, some of those were sort of highly commended at NHS awards. So, mm-hmm. it shows that you know that 
everything was there to kind of push those projects forwards and from those there were other trusts asking about oh well how can those be implemented so that shows that it was having an impact on the external and uh, um, sort of elsewhere trusts as well um outside of that uh, i know that manchester university nhs foundation trust which is another merged trust and i think it was actually one of the first merged trusts where lots of sort of satellite hospitals came together to form one sort of streamlined service um they're doing some great work in terms of they're actually pulling in the wider manchester community um so i know that they've got the the mayor on board and obviously the the actual manchester university but lots of other organizations for a you know sort of manchester wide approach approach not just focusing on the hospital but focusing on the impact to those organizations and the community uh, so i i still get their newsletters uh, by by email and they're always packed full of sort of new innovations about sort of campaigns that they're doing whether it's transport related energy related so you know they're they're a very good example uh, but also uh, up in Newcastle, so the Newcastle Hospitals Trust. So they were actually the first NHS trust in the UK to, to declare a climate emergency. Mm-hmm. So, and that was a couple of years ago now. So they published a detailed report on how they would expect to achieve net zero. Um, I think they set a target of 2030, but I'm I might be wrong there. But that was everything from banning diesel fleets to sort of buying their own electric buses, a range of energy efficient sort of new developments, buildings, um, sort of CHPs and things like that. So if anyone, if any listeners want to have a look, then definitely their sort of most recent report and the Manchester University Trust, they're, they're great ones to look at. Oh, yeah, I definitely encourage the listeners to have a look at some of those, like you said. Um, so sort of coming back to our first episode of the Green Pod, um, we touched on the increase in medical waste during the COVID-19 crisis. In, um, and I could not find any exact figures on the amount of medical waste produced throughout the UK, but up to 230 million gloves, masks and gowns have been issued in Wales and billions of items of PPE have been purchased by the UK government. How do you think COVID-19 and the dramatic increase in PPE waste will affect the NHS sustainability plans? Well, I hope it will advance the agenda. Um, You know, that if you look at a potentially small example, but actually it's got a big impact in terms of the high appreciation of natural space, um, you know, and and the reduction of transport emissions, it means that places like Broomfield, uh, you know, with the large amount of natural space, it's being more appreciated by, you know, sort of the community, the patients and the staff. Um, though healthcare staff, you know, can rarely work from home, um, there might be some non-clinical staff that can. So it might allow better use of virtual technology, um, not travelling across sites. So, you know, if, if I had it sometimes where, I, you know, my office was at Broomfield. Um, if I had a meeting at Southend or Basildon, I typically went over there. So if the virtual technology is sort of now really, really progressive and is available, then it might be that if I was still there or, you know, sort of staff that are there now, they might not need to go over to Southend or Basildon or, you know, across the UK, they might not need to travel to other hospitals to have those meetings um, if they're sort of not clinically minded that you know they would just be able to have them and that would reduce the transport in terms of yeah the the natural space it might mean that more emphasis is put on conservation and enhancing natural space which obviously not only provides a potential carbon offset but also provides the therapeutic benefits as as i mentioned earlier um in terms of ppe it it will have a big impact um you know as as you said the the numbers there are, are massive um, in terms of PPE and it's likely going to increase for you know potentially for the next couple of months maybe even longer um, and for healthcare you know as, as I mentioned there might be no alternative so in terms of surgical masks and gloves and things like that you know that's there to protect 
not only to protect the the patient but also the, the staff so you know that is needed but there are still things that could be done so for non-clinical staff it might be wearing reusable masks so where possible you know sort of encouraging reusable obviously frontline it is very difficult mm -hmm. um ppe will also increase the increase the procurement costs but because that's all increasing it might actually lead to efforts in reducing it elsewhere so you know whilst the ppe might be increasing there might be innovations elsewhere whether it's medicine pots or you know plastic cups or some other bit of equipment um, whether it's all small scale or large scale where innovation may lie because they're being sort of forced to look into it potentially um i believe that the plastics ban on cutlery as i said has been pushed back and, and with the sort of disposable cups um you know whilst it will continue the ban sh still should happen mm -hmm. so that's really important that does happen and sort of everyone in terms of behavioral change learns to yep yeah, okay well there are going to be changes but accept, accepts those changes so the agenda can move forwards um and kind of as mse highlighted and i found out in terms of this potential drone proposal and, and their green plan initiatives it is a challenging time but sustainable ideas are still coming through they're, they're still happening it's just sort of having to to contrast with the you know sort of backdrop of of the current uh situation with with covid19 yeah that's a optimistic way of looking at it. I think that's yeah definitely true um so my final question are there any things you've taken from your time working with the NHS to your job here at University of Greenwich so when I, my initial thought was everything um <laughs> but I probably shouldn't just say everything um so aside from patients mm -hmm. uh, a university and hospital when I was thinking about it they're not actually all that dissimilar you know that they're both large sites they've got a large number of buildings some of them are newer some of them are older in both cases the the nhs trust had multiple sites you know university of greenwich has got three campuses mm -hmm. so you know you've got a fairly large staff base and you've got a large primary stakeholder obviously patients in the nhs and, and students at the university um so in terms of engagement and needs and sort of reaching across platforms and engaging with enough people as possible that is actually very similar so what we did sort of in when i was in the nhs in terms of the sort of videos and campaigns and all the materials we used actually i've taken those ideas and put them in place or hopefully we'll be putting them in place at the university so you know students now will get a fresh outlook um and likewise sort of bringing their ideas as well and at universities you know you've got students with fresh outlooks that are likewise having brilliant ideas to you know sort of change the community change the world like you know sort of stuff so the engagement side is fairly similar i would say in terms of projects furniture is a big one and i never thought i would be taking furniture with me and i never thought that furniture would be massive but that's before i i realize the benefits of it um so both the university and the hospital or universities and hospitals even are constantly changing environments you know as i mentioned hospitals you might have an office change into a ward as a university and especially now you've got classrooms that are changing sizes you've got different areas coming into play and otherwise being refurbished so furniture again is crucial the greenwich furniture reuse scheme is nearly at eighty thousand pounds cost avoidance in just about ten months, and I think that's about thirty-two tons of waste as well that has been avoided. Again, just in terms of if you don't need it, put it on a system, and then someone else can can reuse it. So that's you know that that's brilliant. Both of the sites have got a good amount of natural space. I was thinking actually. Uh, mm -hmm. So in terms of the conservation plans we put into place at the hospital and habitat and engagement, hopefully that can happen at uh, Greenwich and sort of bringing everyone together and just kind of appreciating the natural landscape you know still having fun realizing the importance of it not littering you know kind of the things that you would expect um, and I would say that 
the thing that I've probably taken from the NHS, and, and this might sound cliche, but in, instead of a, a specific project, it's more of a mindset. And it's that only by working together, we, we can make a difference. Um, you know, without collaboration and sharing of ideas, whether it's students coming forwards or, or staff or, in, you know, in healthcare, even patients, none of that could happen without all of those ideas being shared and sort of people passing all of those ideas around, coming up with a solution, potentially compromises if it needs to be, but, you know, something to move the agenda forwards. And because of what happened in uh, the NHS uh, at the MSE Trust and what I've seen already at the university, it gives me hope that despite the challenges that we're all facing with COVID-19 and, you know, sort of the, the pollution and single-use plastics, actually, with people coming together, we can make a positive difference. And for future generations, there are challenges, but the outlook can still be very bright. Awesome. And thank you, David, for um, all the information you shared today. Yeah, there have been some really interesting sort of um, areas that maybe I don't think the listeners might have considered before in relation to sustainability of the NHS. Um, so if the listener would like to hear more about the University of Greenwich Sustainability Initiatives or ask David a question or anything like that, um, please visit www.gre.ac.uk forward slash sustain. And there's a lot of information there about some of the other volunteering projects and things the listener can get involved in. Thank you, guys. Bye.